we are big Otani fans in this household. I mean, he's doing things that we've almost never seen before, hitting two homers on an eight RBA night and then starting the next game and striking out 13 batters and only giving up two hits in eight innings. You know, it's just mind boggling that he does that without needing, you know, rest. I'm not going to require you or CJ to weigh in on this, but my favorite part of his game is that he is a tall hunk. <laughs> I mean, he really is so handsome and he just seems like <laughs> such a likable, fun guy. Yeah, and, and he's still, uh, you know, up until about a year or two ago, he didn't have his driver's license. I don't know if he has one yet or now. He, you know, lives at home with, with his folks in the off season. He likes it that way. You know, yeah. what you see yeah. is what you get. That's amazing. He's the best. I'll drive you, Shohei, if you're listening, wherever you need to go. I've got a new car, and CJ, my husband, said I'm allowed to drive you around. But I don't even get that offer extended to me. <laughs> and I'm also a tall Asian man. <laughs> All right, welcome to the 4th of July edition of Take Line. I'm one of your hosts, CJ Toledano, host, um, comedian, uh, founder of Follow Through. I am joined today by my very special co-host, Megan Gailey. Megan, I'm going to let you say your credits, which hopefully include being my wife. I wanted you to say them. I think you should let everybody know Jason will be back. Yes, Jason will be back. He's taking an NBA Finals hiatus next week. Much deserved break. But Crooked said, you know what? We got to bring in another Filipino man. (laughs) So you are in the hands of a different Filipino man. And I think that's important. Yes. We're from the same school of basketball. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I am Megan Gailey. If you are fans of the Crooked Universe, Mm -hmm. the Crooked Multiverse, um, you may have heard me on Hysteria and Love It or Leave It. And I am a comedian that has been on, wow, The Tonight Show. (laughs) Okay. Um, And yes, I am married to CJ Toledano, who you heard up top. Well, I didn't. So why I didn't say your credits is I was reading them on this doc that our producers nicely prepared. And they said a superior comedian who moonlights as my wife. Okay. Well, then do you think I'm a better comedian than you? Yes, but I just didn't want to have to read that. Anyways. That is so hurtful because I only two months ago gave birth to our child. And you would think that would be more painful than you just having to admit rightfully so, that I'm a better comedian. And ladies and gentlemen, this is the dynamic. I say something very confidently and Megan takes it down very appropriately. I I have no defense to that. Megan, tell everyone what's coming up on the show. We've got a great show for you today. This is fun. I feel like Sonny and Cher, and I know that he did start dating her at a problematic age. Um, (laughs) We've got a great show for you today, during which we are going to venture out across the sports spectrum. First, we'll speak with Peter Baugh, who covered the Colorado Avalanche's successful run up to the almost immediately dented Stanley Cup. Then we check in with Bob Nightingale, classic name, national baseball writer for USA Today as the MLB season reaches the half halfway point and the all-star game festivities set in Dodger stadium later this month, draw ever closer. Oh, wow. CJ, we are getting ready to be bringing our little baby to his first ever Dodgers yep. game. Filipino night, Filipino heritage night. Um, and it will be you and our half Filipino son. And then my entire Irish Catholic family. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, very Irish and fearful of sunburn Irish Catholic <laughs> We are going to, we are at Filipino Heritage Night at Dodgers game. We are going to be the most SBF center. I've never seen, and this is for our viewers, a little peek into our marriage in that classic family um, text thread, as a lot of people might be familiar with. I've never seen so much discussion of sunscreen buying um, than in that, that family text thread. I will just, I just wanted to highlight that. Okay, well, our baby needs special sunscreen, and I'm obviously as the the very white part of our marriage. I am in charge of his sunscreen yeah. buying, and I'm gonna let you give him the birds and the bees talk. All right, I'm I'm ready for it. As, as soon as someone gives it to me. <laughs> um, we are a sporty couple. I'm actually recording in your office right now, yeah. which um. I come onto it and people are like, okay, sneakerhead. There's <laughs> 1,000 pairs of sneakers behind me, a a vintage Washington Bullets jersey. Yep. Well, it's Jordan wore that in 2003, <sighs> but they had throwback night when they went back to the Bullets, and that's a Nike Swingman. I see. I love when people compliment it because they don't know they're complimenting me, but yeah, just wanted to give a little bit of backstory on that. Okay. Um, I think... This is a weird sports time. Um, This is why the ESPYs takes place at this time. Mm -hmm. This is why um, the the all-star break, I mean, it really ends up being like a break. It's the NBA finals are now over. Baseball's at its halfway. Stanley Cup is over. I'm excited Wimbledon has just geared up. Um, But Serena lost in the opening round. The highest ranking uh, British female lost. So... It's like not going to be as star studded as it usually is. Well, you just watched me uh, in terms of grasping for sports stories. You just watched me be what bamboozled by Kyrie news thinking he was going to come to the Lakers. And that's like during this time. And I'm going to apologize to Megan on this show. I always get just like. Uh, so much Lakers news and rumors. And I mean, I'm embarrassed to be a Lakers fan because I believed for 72 hours that Kyrie Irving, a guy who I was outspoken about being disappointed by and his behavior of, you know, lack of uh, vaccine and all that stuff. I wanted him so bad on the Lakers and Megan, I'm sorry, but I did want to highlight this is that time again, like we're just grasping for anything. Yeah, I am. I'm someone that almost usually likes NBA free agency, Mm -hmm. but I feel like being married to you has made me hate it. Um, And as I said to you yesterday, I think it's fair to ask for a ratio of for every 10 (laughs) NBA free agency tweets you have, maybe one about reproductive rights being stripped in this country. 10 to 1. Well, and, and yeah, I, I try to retweet as much as possible. And, you know, thank I, you. <laughs> well, no, the th- <laughs> I didn't mean for it to come out very comically, you guys, like a dumb man. What a but hero. I wish you were here no, right in front of me. I, I've donated and I will continue to use my platform to tell other, du- I mean, just dumb oh idiot my men. Gosh, I did not know that I had a damn hero in front of me right now. <laughs> I don't mean to say it like that, <laughs> but. We need to try. And I agree. I just agree with the with that. The ratio rule. Absolutely. I just also don't want I don't think people want me to put it in my own words. uh, What's going on in this country. But yeah, I'm going to get a vasectomy after our second child is all I'm going to say. How about this? You you write out a little draft. Okay. you show it to me and I'll punch it up for you. Okay. (laughs) Sounds great. 
<laughs> you're telling me NBA for you're like, oh, Buster Boopsie got traded. And I'm like, who the fuck are these people? Buster Boopsie? Yeah. He's on the Wizards. Of, of improv Olympic training. And that's who you <laughs> came up with in terms of NBA players is Buster Boopsie. Jalen, Jalen. Oh, boy. Jalen, Jalen, Jalen. Okay, that's what we want. Here's a little stat that Megan and I really enjoyed was that more than 10% of this year's NBA draftees were named either Jalen, Jalen, different spelling of Jalen, Dalen, <laughs> or I can't remember the fourth Jayden? one. Jaden? Maybe Jaden, yeah. And so I told Megan, I pitched her our second child, maybe still up in the air if that's going to happen. We got to name them Jaden. Jalen Jabari. <laughs> and we're guaranteed Toledano. a first, yeah, Gailey Toledano, a guaranteed a first rounder. And for the listeners at home, I want you to know that's a hyphenated Gailey Toledano. My name's first because my vagina had to do the work. There's my support. I should tweet that. I'll tweet that. And this has been Take Line. <laughs> All right. And now that we've sorted through everything we really should be getting into in couples therapy, but don't want to pay for, we will be getting into our interview with NHL Avalanche beat writer, Peter Baugh. The Colorado Avalanche are Stanley Cup champions, capturing their third title since moving from Quebec in 1995 after a six-game win over the Tampa Bay Lightning last month. Now, there's a lot we got to get into between a historic win for Nazem Kadri and where the league is headed overall. And to do that, we want to welcome in Peter Baugh, Avalanche beat reporter with The Athletic, to help us get up to speed. So, Peter, welcome to Take Line. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so just tell us, I mean, Megan and I, first of all, we're not the biggest hockey heads here. CJ! I didn't want to give that up right away, but I'm not going to just fake it through the whole interview. But I was going to speak French the entire time. I would be lost. <laughs> but I'm, I'm with the Stanley Cup title, I am like getting caught up on the feelings out there in Colorado. Can you kind of just like recap, you know, the reaction from the city uh, and Denver and all? Just what's the feeling like over, over there with the Avalanche winning? Yeah, I mean, I think people are, are really excited. I think anytime you have a team that that makes a run in any sporting league I think people get excited who wouldn't normally be otherwise invested in sports just because it's fun to be around people who are excited people who are invested so you definitely saw um, in recent weeks more and more avalanche jerseys avalanche shirts and things like that and so I think it, it definitely was something that people were excited about and um, this was a team that had championship aspirations from the start of the season and was considered one of the favorites going into the year and they kind of lived up to that billing. So there was maybe a, a bit of relief with some fans, but I think mostly just excitement and joy. Now, Peter, when I heard that we were going to be interviewing a beat reporter, what pops into my mind visually is like a six-year-old man with mustard stains on him. <laughs> you, you are so young and fun. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> I'm loving that you're you're redefining what a beat reporter can be. Um, now, I tweeted last week. I was like, who should I be rooting for? I like non-problematic hunks. And everyone directed me toward the avalanche. And I saw the coach and I said, he's a hunk. <laughs> and then and then they were like, the captain's a hunk. Um, so I became an avalanche fan last week. Happy to be here. Congrats I'm very on your, right on your now. title. <laughs> Thank you so much. You know, I don't think they could have done it without Agreed. me. Um, the Tampa Bay Lightning, though, this was their third straight Stanley Cup finals. Now, does anyone outside of Tampa Bay want them to be the dynasty that they're turning into? Yeah, I mean, I think they're like 
to my knowledge, I could be wrong. I don't think they have any problematic hunks on their team. So I think that like, they're a likable bunch. They've just won a lot. Um, So I don't think people were necessarily like uh, anti-lightning in the general Mm -hmm. hockey world. I think that um, it's a likable group of players. They have some really talented, awesome players. So if there was going to be a dynasty within the NHL, I think people were were okay with it. Um, But I do think that, I mean, look, like, you see it in pretty much any sports league. Like the when the Warriors had were going for a three peep, a lot of people end up rooting for the Raptors just because they want something right. different. When you an underdog, you know. yeah, exactly. You want someone new, and it's funny because the Avalanche weren't really an underdog. Like they they were mm-hmm. really good all season, but it was just it was new blood. It's something different. So I don't think there is a ton of like anti Lightning sentiment, but I do think that probably the fact that they had won before maybe made them less likable than they would have been if they were a team who hadn't won a cup recently. Yeah. This yeah. may be silly, but is there any pushback to them being in a city that doesn't actually have any winter? I, I don't know about like the general perception. I do know that one of my friends is like, I, I just don't like that. There's a, <laughs> that there's hockey in Florida. <laughs> so That's what I hear. That's. And so it's like, it feels almost dog on its hind legs for there to be, this blossoming dynasty in Florida for the NHL. Yeah, it is a little odd when you kind of like think too hard about it, but I will, I'll give them credit. Like their fan base was really into it. Like people were really into it throughout the city. So, I mean, the fans are into it. And I think that's what what matters is if people care. And it seems like people do down there. It was funny. The same thing, like last year, the Avs lost in the second round of Vegas. And when I was in Vegas for the the road games that series I was like it's 110 degrees how are they playing hockey out here like it it just felt like counterintuitive but the people in both those cities care so that's pretty cool yeah well and what we want is people in Tampa happy yeah (laughs) they haven't won (laughs) enough lately Um, well, let's talk about, because Megan started off by saying, you know, stereotypes in sports. Um, you know, we think NHL hockey, historically, like white Canadian dudes. But we, you know, with on the avalanche, with Nazim Kadri being the first Muslim uh player in NHL history to ever win a Stanley Cup. Can you kind of put into context what that means and what he kind of navigated through in this postseason and then through his whole career? Like, how meaningful is this, you know, to to get the Stanley Cup for him? Yeah, well, he was he was thrilled after the game. It was really cool talking to, to him on the ice and seeing how happy he was. And I've gotten to know a couple of his friends just from like different reporting and they were all super pumped and were sending me pictures from the celebration back in Denver when they got to town and stuff. So um, it certainly meant a lot to him and, and his loved ones. I think Nazem Kadri's story is a, a really interesting one because he grew up about two hours out of Toronto in, a, in London, Ontario, which is a, a medium-sized city in Canada. Gets drafted by the Toronto Maple Leafs and Toronto hockey is everything there. So he's like under a microscope to begin with. And growing up, like, Obviously, as a brown-skinned kid, he's going to face different hateful remarks that yeah. white Canadian kids won't face. Um, and so he kind of, that was like there growing up. And he, he credits his dad with like helping him through a lot of that and like how, learning how to deal with it. And then he goes to Toronto where he, he loved Toronto, but he was definitely under a microscope. And he had these two postseason suspensions where he um, kind of had these retaliatory penalties where he and another guy on the other team would go at it and then he would take it a step too far and get suspended. And those really cost the Maple Leafs and ultimately led them to, to trade him because they were like, we, we can't really trust this guy. Um, 
last last year we had the avalanche he had another suspension in the playoffs which was less of a retaliatory hit and more he like missed his check that he was trying to make but was still not a mm. good play but so he's kind of this like controversial figure in the nhl to begin with um but he um I guess this postseason, he's playing excellently. He had a career year. He was yeah. unbelievable, having this excellent postseason. And then in the St. Louis series, in game three, there was a play where he was going for a loose puck in front of the net, and he ran into one of the defensemen who ran into the goalie subsequently, and the goalie had a, a leg injury and, and was out for the rest of the playoffs. And so Blues fans were furious and very upset about, um, about that, especially because the player, Kadri, injured last year in the playoffs was was from St. Louis. So things got taken way too far. Fans were sending like hateful messages, racist messages, Islamophobic messages, and even some threats, mm-hmm. which led to like added security around the team, um, which was really terrible. And I think a scary situation. I mean, to have extra security around around the team and, and stuff like that. Um, and then Kadri went on to have a great rest of the series um, and I think he had a hat trick. He had three goals the next game and a pretty memorable um, win for Colorado. And then um, the next year, his story, like this postseason for him was wild. The next year, yeah. he gets injured by a guy committing a dangerous check that that guy got suspended. So he breaks his thumb. Then he turns a six-week recovery into a two-week recovery. He's still playing with his thumb completely messed up. He can't tie his own skates. And then he scores an overtime winner in, in game four of the Stanley Cup. So pretty remarkable story. Um, and uh, yeah, it was, it was definitely kind of wild to, to see how everything unfolded. And it, it certainly ended with a happy ending for him. I was reading those death threats. This happened in the NBA playoffs as well. In cities like Boston, where, you know, I think the majority go, oh, yeah, you know, those are cities that have racist fans. And when I read those threats in, the, I think, his family's DMs, which were disgusting, and it's like, I just hate... There is no question here. I just hate overall in sports how a play or just something like that can happen. And then racist people, I won't even call them sports fans, will use that as a reason to attack and be, like you said, just racist in comments. It's really just it exposes the disgusting you know, nature of humans out there. So, yeah, it just I saw it in basketball and to see it in the NHL, too. It's just it's rough to watch. Yeah, I love sports like sports is awesome. It keeps me employed, but it's just like I don't think that one, I don't think the play where he injured the goalie. I didn't think that was intentional yeah. at all. Mm-hmm. Like it was a hockey play. It was, mm-hmm. um, if it, even if it had been intentional, it's like, why are we, why does anyone feel the need to like take it to this point? And I think that is yeah. one way that like sports has sometimes gets a little dangerous just, is just how invested people get in these like yeah. really concerning ways. And I think it's amplified by social media where people can go back and forth so easily. And, um, just have such easy access where they can yeah. find someone's Instagram page and message them. And it's scary and upsetting. And I think certainly not a good reflection on, mm-hmm. on fans in general. And I think it's, yeah, it's pretty abhorrent. On a lighter note, Obey Kubel notably dented the Stanley <laughs> cup trophy mere seconds after getting possession. Yeah, of This it. wasn't when they were all hammered. This was like no. sober right after. Pretty standard. They had yeah. just gotten it. Um, and, and the Stanley Cup itself, I mean, it's revered. Like, we're talking Lord of the Rings, <laughs> my precious level of, 
like people being obsessed with it. I think this is great because it's got a history now. You know, you're giving it to 30 drunk men to have possession of. I'm surprised it's even still standing. Were they upset by it at all? Or or the avalanche like, listen, we've left our mark on it now. Yeah, I think, well, so the cup has been damaged before. So they've they've done, they can repair it. They'll get it back mm-hmm. to, to looking all pretty and fancy. I think the players thought it was pretty hilarious. Like yeah. I, my understanding was like at the after party, uh, when they got back, everyone was laughing hysterically about it. Great. It was, I mean, you could see when, if you watch the video, he like, yeah. like <laughs> he's skating it to the team. And it's hilarious because this guy, he wasn't even in the lineup that night. Like it wasn't like he was a big player. He's just like, he, he's a guy like, so excited. He's carrying the cup to the team picture and then just eats it. And it, uh. yeah, the bottom dented and he, uh, but he like tried to play it off and roll over, but then like everyone's laughing. And it, it was, it was pretty funny. His, uh, someone sent me, his girlfriend made a TikTok of like zooming in on different players' reactions in the <laughs> yeah. they, like we're watching and just their mouths are all like agape. And it, it was pretty funny. Um, the Stanley Cup has so many traditions around it, like the physical cup itself. CJ and I used to live in Chicago. We were there during the five years when the, Blackhawks won the Stanley Cup three times. And I swear we're the only two people that live there that don't have a photograph with it. Like this puppy was, it would be at damn comedy shows. Like it was just (laughs) everywhere in the city. Is there, is there someone that you're like, they're going to do something really fun with it? Or is there a tradition that you've seen happen with it that especially stands out to you? Yeah. I always loved like the fact that everyone's name is engraved in it and it's Mm -hmm. just there forever. And then, um, I love that. And then they all get to take it to their hometown for a day, which I think is such a yeah. cool thing. Oh, that's like, awesome. Yeah. That's so, so like, cool. it'll go to Nova Scotia, where Nathan McKinnon's from. It'll go to Sweden, where Gabe Landeskog's from. It'll go to Finland. It'll go to the Czech Republic. It'll go kind of travel the world. Um, I do know that one player, I think his wife told me that their kids, they have little kids. They're very excited to like eat ice cream out of the cup. Oh. Oh, like they need to sanitize it before, because I've seen some pictures. Oh, there's been a lot of things in that cup. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's been some love making with the cup. <laughs> that uh, it, unfortunately is probably true. I, I don't have that confirmed, but I, it would not shock me. <laughs> Just to piggyback on the sort of the talk of this cup and this trophy. Again, that moment of him denting the cup is what I saw across all of my timelines when I'm, mm-hmm. you know, for the majority follow basketball and football, but it's like, and I, I feel like in the last couple of years, especially with like TNT taking, you know, the, the open ice and, and Bleacher Report and, and kind of highlighting those moments that hockey needs to have some of those moments, you know, kind of put at the forefront as much as like basketball and yeah. plays outside of slam dunks and like almost like fashion and whatnot. But in conjunction with that, I've seen, you know, Stanley Cup's ratings have sort of for this year kind of like finished in the middle of the pack of the last 20 some years. And I know that the NBA's rating ratings have gone down as well. Do you sort of have any ideas, especially as a person who kind of, like you said, kind of pivoted to hockey and have found the stuff that you really love and are intriguing? Do you have any ideas or pitches to kind of get ratings back up or bring the Stanley Cup or the NHL in general to bigger fan bases? Yeah, well, I think they they had this this new TV deal with ESPN and TNT, and I think that's a big step. I, like the fact that um, I saw people talking about how on ABC, uh, where which had the game the other night they kept the feed going during the trophy presentation and everything Mm -hmm. which like I think in NBC they would cut it off pretty quickly when it was on NBC so I think I think stuff like that is huge and I think 
the ratings rebounded from the past few years, which I think, like you said, I don't think they were like super high, but around mm-hmm. sports, my understanding is that like traditional ratings have kind of been going down except for the NFL. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't, I think that the more personality people can show the better, like Kadri, we were talking about him mm-hmm. earlier. He, uh, he was on national, t- this was actually on the Canadian broadcast, but he, he said, um, and to everyone who thought I was a liability in the playoffs, they can kiss my ass. And I, I think stuff like that, like that's like, show some personality. And I think hockey, hockey culture is you've got to like be for the team and like all like buttoned up and not say anything interesting. And so I think the more players say stuff like that, the better. So Peter, you have covered 110 regular and postseason avalanche games this year. Yeah, we did. We ran the stats for you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you deserve your own damn Stanley Cup. <laughs> um, is there anything you've learned about the nature of beat reporting that you could share with listeners that maybe are interested in, in sports reporting in some sort? Yeah. So I think The Athletic does things a little different in that during the regular season, I wasn't necessarily writing off of every single game because we kind of viewed mm-hmm. it as the avalanche were going to make the playoffs no matter what. So it was the way we viewed it was if something happened within the game, that was the biggest story in the league that night I would write. But if it was mm-hmm. anything less than that, I would just save it for like these general stories that would do. It. And that allowed me to pursue different feature stories. And like the big story I did on Nazem Kadri, like it let me kind of dig into those things that I am most passionate about. So mm-hmm. I think beat writing is a really awesome way to build relationships with people and learn yeah. a lot about just a variety of, of different people and their backgrounds. And then you can kind of like, if the team you cover goes on a run, you find that you get to these games and it's like someone has a big moment and you kind of don't have to do a ton of research about their backstory. Cause you already know it. Cause you were there doing the mm-hmm. legwork. So I think that was one of the more rewarding parts of this process. And I think for, I mean, younger writers who are, are looking at sports reporting, I think a lot of the, the best sports writers out there started as beat reporters. And that's kind of, kind of how you, how you learn how to do this stuff. Like that's how you build relationships, how you write and learn how to write different types of stories and face different challenges. It's gotta be special too, to feel like you have more invested or or a relationship. And then when you see these guys do something special, it's like, man, his daughter's going to be so excited. You know, like, you know more about them. It's a deeper connection. Yeah. And it it was nice. Like the, I think this was the first year since 2019 because of COVID that like the writers after the, the game could go on the ice and like talk to the players while they were celebrating. And it was great. Like, I mean, you see people, obviously like my job is not to be a fan of the avalanche and like, that's not how I approach it, but you do, build a lot of relationships with people that you that you really like and who you respect and enjoy talking to and um so it was great honestly like it was you see people all around the ice in that moment who you're like wow I mean that must be really cool to see your kid like achieve Mm -hmm. something so big and it was it it was nice to like kind of see that and see I like seeing joyful people so it was cool kind of to see that Thank you so much for joining us. Um, read Peter's stuff on The Athletic covering the Colorado Avalanche. Peter, thank you again so much for joining the Take Line. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on.
The Major League Baseball season is teetering on its halfway point. As of this recording, most of the league has played 75 games of the season's 162. On July 5th, the Yankees will play their 80th of 162. So trends are patterns now, and save for second-half resurgences or implosions, this season's contenders are well-established as All-Star Weekend in L.A. draws ever closer. The individual stars have shown brightly this season as well, and some of them have secured big paydays for their Herculean efforts. Here to discuss first-half story Lines and preview the all-star game is Bob Nightingale, national MLB writer for USA Today. Bob, hi, welcome to Take Line. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. First of all, you are calling in from what has got to be one of the <laughs> sexiest looking man caves I've ever seen. <laughs> is this your home? It is. It is. Yes. This yeah. is this is what being a sports reporter gets you, kids. Okay. Gorgeous Tiffany lighting over, I'm guessing, a pool table. Pool table. Yep. yep. Yes. Okay. And I will I'm good. say, I don't want to reveal it, Bob. Megan and I are married, and I've been, you know, when we buy a home, which will happen in 35 years, um, <laughs> I've already told her I want a room just like this. So thank you for helping out that future conversation. <laughs> no problem. Come on over. You were, um, I think you were brought on this show just for CJ to make a point <laughs> and to give us some um, baseball info. Bob, four of the six division races are still races with only the Yankees and the Astros having double digit leads on their respective competitors. Of the three National League divisions and the AL Central, which race is going to be the most compelling to you in the second half of the season? I think maybe the NL East, uh, just with uh, Atlanta and the Mets going head to head. But, you know, to tell you the truth, I mean, it could be all three. Uh, I don't think mm -hmm. the Brewers and Cardinals are that much different from each other. And uh, in the West, you know, the Padres have been playing very good without Tatis all year. Machado has been out, you know, 10, 11 games. Um, so we'll see that what the Dodgers with the trade deadline. But that one's got a chance to be, too. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, all three could be. You know, going down the last week or so. CJ and I live in Los Angeles and uh, we are we are Dodgers fans and we love when they spend big and everybody gets mad. I mean, what are we paying these taxes for? <laughs> right, exactly. And I think they'll hit, hit it again. They need a starting pitcher. Mm -hmm. You know, Walker Bueller out, uh, Kershaw. You know, he's, he's going to be in the Hall of Fame, but he's not sure we can count on from start to start. You know, you're really going to count on Tony Goslin to be your ace in the postseason. I think they go out and get one of the uh, you know three big starters that are out there and maybe go get some of bullpen help too. Awesome. Now, focusing on the two central divisions, are you more surprised to see that the White Sox, who are under 500 after winning 93 games last season, or the Twins in first after finishing in the 2021 AL Central Cellar? I think the White Sox, uh, you know, I, I thought they had run away with the division, at least win it by a comfortable margin. And, uh, you know, the Twins was an aberration last year. Lost 89 games. Uh, you know, they've been good before that. And they were in the playoffs, uh, you know, three years before that. So uh, I think the Twins' success isn't a big surprise. But the White Sox, you know, being such a big underachievers, and only two guys are doing anything for them. You know, Vaughn in, uh, in left field and Tim Anderson at shortstop. White Sox fans are not happy, and I think it's understandable. There have been chance to fire La Russa. Do you think there's any chance that happens, though? No, zero chance. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, he's there all year. If they don't make the playoffs, <laughs> then I think they might say, you know what, uh, let's have a different voice in here. 
Tony, you want to step aside and, uh, you know, be in the front office, be a special assistant. So I don't think you'll ever see the words LaRusse and fired again, not by the White Sox. Right. Um, staying in Chicago, this is admittedly a, a familiar position for the Cubs, not of the the most recent history, but over the the drought that was the curse of the Billy Goat. Are there any silver linings on this rebuild? Well, they're in the right division. I mean, if you're going to be in division rebuild, that's the one to be in. Uh, no one spends much money there. I mean, even the uh, the Cardinals fly have the biggest payroll at about 150. You know, there's no mm-hmm. Mets in there. There's no Dodgers in there. So you can bounce back quickly. I think they're a little embarrassed, and I think they'll spend money in the offseason. You know, last offseason, they got Stroman. They got Suzuki from Japan. I think this time around, they'll go get a big shortstop, you know, whether it's a, uh, a Carlos Correa, um, mm-hmm. you know, a Trey Turner, Xander Bogarts, someone like that, uh, I, th- I think will be, you know, the centerpiece of their offseason. Yeah. Well, and, and CJ and I both used to live in Wrigleyville. I used to live behind Wrigley Field. Yes. Okay. I, I lived close enough to it that you I would get the letter at the start of every season that was like, we're sorry, and we're sorry. Um, and we did have a beautiful white picket fence that did have to be eventually torn down from drunk people kicking through it. But <laughs> it sometimes feels as though... Oh, I hope it wasn't me. <laughs> no, it wasn't you. No, it wasn't you. I would recognize you. Okay. Um, is there anything to like the Cubs fans, quote unquote, they show up kind of no matter what, like, does that end up stalling a, a rebuilding process because there's less pressure to be selling tickets? No, I, I think you're right. I mean, they are always going to draw. People just love going there. You know, I love going there, you know, hanging mm-hmm. out at Murphy's bleachers afterwards and <laughs> used to go to the rooftops all the time. And, uh, but yeah, no, I think it does hurt in degree because the fans aren't showing like, okay, we're not going to show up unless yeah. you start spending money and get a good product in the field. You know, the same way it doesn't get the same hype is, is that Coors Field in Colorado. They draw about 30000 a game, but people go to the uh, right field there and just hang out. Nobody's mm-hmm. watching the game, but it's a great mm-hmm. place to hang out. <laughs> well, can I ask you, because I remember this being a big story about the potential of the Cubs going out to the Burbs. Like, what, like truly everyone just is disappointed in hearing that. Was there any pros to that outside of like, hey, let's build this big, you know, complex and all that? Like, was there any pro to going out to the Burbs for the Cubs? There really wasn't. You know, that was a, you know, a long time ago. You know, just such mm-hmm. a uh, shrine. It's like people show up there. You know, because it's Wrigley Field, uh, you know, same way with Fenway Park in Boston. Uh, no, they will never leave that place. Even in Chicago, people, you know, ask the White Sox, you know, why couldn't you have tilted the stadium a little bit? Yes. To see the downtown. <laughs> what yeah. are we doing? I'm from Indiana, and I know it's an ugly place. Why are you looking at that? And uh, yeah, she just been turned a little bit. It would, it would have been fine. But, you know, it, the difference is so many people, you know, live by uh, Wrigley Field. Yeah. They're always going to draw. Yeah. Where that's the White Sox complain is that, you know, people just don't live in the South side, you know, not like you do around the ballpark like at Wrigley. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk contenders here. The Astros and Yankees, obviously they have big leads here, but there's so much time between now and September of those two teams. Who do you think are more susceptible to a collapse uh, before September? Yeah, I don't think either one. I mean, I guess okay. you, you would say, you know, maybe Houston because they have all the young starters uh, you know, what, what something happens to Justin Verlander, but you know, they're a deep rotation. Uh, I think if you're the Yankees, you need them to, you want your team to start losing some games. It's almost like things are going, <laughs> things are going too good. You know, there are no, no injuries, you know, everybody's healthy. 
uh, you know, the rotations pitching out of our mind, the bullpens pitching out of our mind, just everything's going so right. It's almost like you need some kind of obstacles during mm-hmm. the uh, midseason and then rebound in September. Judges obviously having an MVP season. If he starts to come back to earth a bit, will the Yankees be able to continue this pace that they're at? You know, I think if they uh, keep at this pace, I think they still have to rest Judge in September and rest other okay. guys too. Even guys like, you know, the pitchers, Garrett Cole, you know, don't go seven innings, you can go four innings, that sort of thing. Says, you know, hey, they're built for uh, to win the World Series. I think anything less now would be a huge disappointment. And after what happened, you know, the past weekend with the uh, Yan- you know, Yankees in Houston, everybody wants to see uh, an ALCS rematch. I think it would be great. Mm-hmm. With Judge on the Yankees, now I can't imagine him in anything but pinstripes. But if he continues to put up numbers, doesn't regress, can you even imagine any team out there trying to pry him from the Yankees? Is that a reality at all? I really can't. And usually when it's a big-time free agent, you only have two or three teams bidding on your maximum. Yeah. So with Judge, you know, he's looking at the Mike Trout extension. I know people say, oh, it's 12 years at uh, you know 430-something. No, it was like 10 years at 360 because he had two years left in the deal. So what Judge wants is $36 million a year. Saying I'm the Mike Trout of, uh, of New York. Mm-hmm. He's not going to get 10 years, but he might get eight years. So I could see him signing you know, eight years between 280 and 290, that sort of thing. And I'm not <sighs> sure the Giants would do that or you know, Cubs aren't going to do that. Uh, Steve Cohen won't do that with the Mets. So yeah, I, you know, he wants to stay in New York. Uh, that, that's where he should be. Yeah. I think the ghosts of George will come and get that deal done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's such an icon. And, you know, yeah. he can make as much money he wants off the field. Hey, let me look at – all I have to do is look at Robinson Cano. When he left and went to Seattle, he was forgotten about. People yeah. forget about the stars that leave Yankees. That's, that's true. It impacts all of the endorsement deals that you can get. So it's like a twofold payday. Yeah, and say, he's, uh, say he went to San Francisco, for instance – you know, hey, people in New York and the East Coast, you know, what, 75, 8 percent of the country live on the East Coast. They're not going to watch their games. You know, they start at 10 o'clock at night. They're not going to yeah. watch whatever the judge does. Yeah. I know. We we live in L.A., as I mentioned. So coming out here to the best coast, as we like to say, we are big Otani fans in this household. Um, he is just, I mean, he's doing things that we've almost never seen before. Hitting two homers on an eight RBA night and then starting the next game and striking out 13 batters and only giving up two hits in eight innings. He's hes a freak. You know, <laughs> he truly is. He can do it all. But what is your favorite part of his game? You know, it's just mind boggling that he does that without needing, you know, rest. I mean, all these pitchers need time off. Uh, even position players, you need to rest once in a while. Um, you know, I know he's DHing, but you know, who knows? He could probably play the outfit a lot too. <laughs> I, I don't know what he's worth. I was talking to the Angels GM about a week ago or so. You know, when you think about it, you know, he's probably worth over 300. You know, you'd pay him what you pay Garrett Cole. That's 300 million dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'd pay him almost what you'd pay a, uh, you know, uh, uh, certainly a Trout or a Harper. That's 300 million dollars. You're not going to give him a 600 million dollar contract. But he may get over or over four hundred very easily, and um, this is a guy who makes a ton of money off the field. Uh, yeah. He ma- he makes much more than Jeter ever did. Uh, really? Yeah. Even though it's the Angels compared to the Yankees, I think he makes over you know twenty twenty five million a year, which is huge for baseball. You know, not huge yeah. for NBA or NFL, but huge for baseball. Mm-hmm. And and those are endorsements that are happening overseas. 
Yeah, I mean, if you notice yeah. the uh, Angels games now, the uh, powerful agent Scott Boris, you know, had that sweet mm-hmm. there at Angels, so you would see him during games. But those two suites that were blocked off by advertising by Japanese companies. Wow. And they told no, Scott, you can have your suite back. It's going to cost you $4 million. He goes, yes. he goes never mind. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I love that. I mean, I, I'm not going to require you or CJ to weigh in on this. But my favorite part of his game is that he is a tall hunk. I mean, he really is so handsome. And he just seems like <laughs> such a likable, fun guy that. I feel for him in the way that a lot of people have felt for Mike Trout as like you're in Anaheim where the biggest thing is Disneyland and the second biggest thing is a Portillo's. So (laughs) you're always going to be second fiddle to the Dodgers that are right up, right up the coast a bit. Yeah. And and he's still, uh, you know, up until about a year or two ago, he didn't have his driver's license. I don't know if he has one yet or now. He lives at home with, with his folks in the off season. He used to live just like a mile from the ballpark. So it's not like he's living in L.A. or even, you know, Newport no. Beach or something like that. And just a uh, – he likes it that way. You know, yeah. what you see yeah. is what you get. I mean, I love the fact last year with the home run derby, uh, he gave all those proceeds to all the equipment managers and clubhouse guys, bat boys with the Angels. You know, he didn't, he didn't keep a penny. That's amazing. He's the best. I'll drive you, Shohei, if you're listening, wherever you need to go. I've got a new car, and CJ, my husband, said I'm allowed to drive you around. But I don't even get that offer extended to me. <laughs> and I'm also a tall Asian man. But uh, besides the point, Ota- I mean, with Otani, I mean, you know, with these pro athletes, the payday is a big deal, but also they want to win. They don't want to just go this whole career without winning. You know, with the Angels 12 games behind the Astros and, you know, trying to maximize the time that they have them for sure. What do the Angels have to do to become a contender to actually, you know, maybe win? Well, just get more pitching. I mean, they've spent in the wrong places. Uh, when Garrett Cole was a free agent, they went after him, couldn't sign him. Instead of going after some more pitching, you know, they threw the money at Anthony Rondon, you know, who's, you know, it's one of the worst contracts ever. Uh, that was $245 million. But they need more pitching. And you know, they got Lorenz, you know, Lorenzen has helped out. Syndergaard's, you know, been fine. But need more of that stuff. Uh, you know, a year ago in the draft, there was 20 rounds. They drafted 20 pitchers. So they just need the, the pitching help to keep up with everybody else. All-Star Game is going to be played at Dodger Stadium, July 19th. L.A. loves a snub. Um, so who are the notable snubs that you think may happen this All-Star ballot? We'll see. I mean, one guy that jumps out is Luis Arise from Minnesota Twins. 25-year-old guy from Venezuela sent for $40,000. You know, he was saying 360 10 days ago. And he was like fifth in the all-star belting. He was like, I think I counted 51 guys got more votes than he did. So he, he's got a good chance, you know, just because he's not hitting home runs, but he's like they're, you know, modern day rock crew or, uh, you know, a Tony Gwynn type. So he's got a chance to be left out. And there's always, you know, very good relievers. that are getting left out. Uh, we'll see. And, there, and there's a lot of guys that get added on. There's so many injuries. There's guys who started them that Sunday beforehand. So they're out. I would love to see I would love to see Justin Berlander start that game. You know, he's 10 and 2 with a low 2 ERA coming back from Tommy John. Um, remember he wanted to go to the Dodgers. That was his first choice. Mm-hmm. He was with the mm-hmm. Tigers. They didn't want him. So every time he pitches against the Dodgers in LA, it just lights out. 
I love that. I think viewers are going to want him in the All-Star game, too, because that means a lot of cutaways to Kate Upton, and <laughs> that's going to drive viewership. We know that. Yeah, there'll be all kinds of shots of people in the stands. I'm, I think already the Dodgers and MLB is lining up, you know, every celebrity possible uh, to sit oh, those first yeah. few rows for, for TV ratings. <laughs> Well, on a last note with the Dodgers, uh, the Padres, they're also in a, a tight divisional race. Let, let's compare and contrast those two super teams. Are the Giants a, a secret dark horse, or, or what do you think, Padres or Dodgers here? I think it's just Padre Dodger. Uh, I don't think the Giants, you know, have the weapons this year. Obviously, they overachieved last year, winning 107 games. Uh, we'll see if they get a wild card spot. But I think both the Dodgers and Padres are just heads up, um, ahead of them. You know, last year we talked about the Dodger Pottery rivalry. It never really materialized after, you know, May or June. But now mm-hmm. that, you know, the Potters have like seven starters right now. They're just absolutely loaded. Uh, they got a very aggressive GM. I think it's going to be a duel at the trade deadline, you know, who gets who. Uh, I think the Potters have a very good chance, you know, to knock off the Dodgers. I mean, both teams will be in the playoffs, but I think they're, you know, very legitimate, you know, big four game series over uh, July 4th weekend. I can tell you that my Instagram followers need to start rooting for the Giants to make the postseason because if they do, then that means more Gabe Kepler photos. <laughs> and that keeps the ladies happy, okay? <laughs> it used to be Brad Ausmus, but now he's the bench coach for Oakland. So I don't think people I don't think people are rooting for Oakland. <laughs> no, Gabe is a hunk. I cannot even believe him and Jimmy G are in the same zip code. It's not fair. Um, Bob, thank you so much for joining us. This has been Bob Nightingale, national baseball writer for USA Today. Thanks for joining us on Take Line. Sure, my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Bob. Take care. Right, time now for a game we're calling Podcasting Couples Quiz because the producers of this show are about to go on holiday break and that's the name they came up with. So I'm going to ask CJ a question. CJ will ask me a question and we'll each learn a bit more about one another because after two and a half years of locked into a house together, we still have more to find out. CJ, are you ready to get into a fight? I'm not, it's not going to be a fight, not going to be a fight. I feel like this is the foundation. I'm, I'm curious because we haven't done something like this in a, in a while. So not since like before the wedding. Yeah. So let's see who knows things change. You know, my favorite team changes every two, three years. So, Uh, and it's very upsetting to me and listeners, I want you to know, we actually, we're doing really well. Okay. We don't get into a lot of fights. Um, all right, CJ, I'm going to go first. I'll ask you a question and then I'll guess what I think you're going to say. Okay. Um, what is the best stadium in sports? Okay. Let me just, honestly, are you going to guess right now? Yeah. Okay. Give me four seconds to just lock in okay. my head when I'm, when I'm thinking. Okay. Go ahead. I think you're going to say Lucas oil stadium. No. So I don't, I don't have, <laughs> that's where the Indianapolis Colts play. Well, so here's, here's my answer. My answer is going to is staples before it was crypto. Um, no staples sucks. Well, it's either okay. So here are my top three. It was going to be Staples. Um, it was going to be United Center, and then the third one was going to be Gainsbridge. Oh, where the Pacers play. Yeah. It's changed names so many times. Here's why I'll tell you you're wrong. Staples Center. I I actually don't find it to be a great stadium. United Center is in like a 
a desert that's difficult to get to. Bad public transportation. But did you have good times going to Bulls games? Mm. Yeah, I forgot. I had fine times. I had had nice times at Blackhawks games. Yeah. Yeah. Because I do like the organ. But Gainsbridge, and I don't, we don't talk about it enough. I think... I can't remember who recently said they shout out. It the was stadium. Bill Simmons. It was Bill uh, Simmons. Okay. Um, <laughs> Gamesbridge is legit. It is like, and so my criteria for best stadiums is just like the accommodations, but also does it have character? And I really do like Fieldhouse, and and you know yeah. they've they've retained Fieldhouse through all their like iterations. It truly does feel like a Fieldhouse, and like the seating arrangements is really cool. Um, in great location. So yeah, really gorgeous. And uh, Fieldhouse is like a certain architectural way it's it's built. And I love it. When you say Gainbridge, I forgot that, that was the name of it. It's been seven names because everything keeps going bankrupt or whatever. Um, but thank you for having an Indianapolis place in the top three. I appreciate okay. that. Well, let's keep talking about Indianapolis. Thank you. Here's a question. What is your favorite football team not named the Colts? Um, and so I'm going to say the Rams. Um, I'm actually going to say the Buffalo Bills. Oh, dang it. I knew that. I knew that. And do you want to tell people why? My parents grew up in Western New York, grew up Bills fans. So they had me rooting for them as a child. And then after that fourth Super Bowl loss, who I do remember a girl, Katie Baker, wiping a Bills tattoo off my face um, <laughs> at halftime. Oh boy, my parents were upset. And my dad said, I can't go through this anymore. And they had just moved to Indianapolis. And so we became Colts fans instead. Yeah, But I still um, have a soft spot for them and love Stefan Diggs. Yeah. Um, I, you know, they're a really fun team. And if the Colts can't win, then, then I want them to win. Yeah. No, I had a fun time rooting for them. We have family there. So, or my family's there as well. So I like the Bills too. I shouldn't have known that. Um, okay. So CJ, what city has the best fan base? I know you're going to say Chicago. Yeah. Chicago. Yeah. I don't know. I I do like a Midwest fan base a lot just because we know (laughs) there's not much to do there and, and they seem the most loyal and like locked into, uh, their sports teams as opposed to on the the coast. People are like, Oh yeah, I'll go there and kind of just be seen or like, you know, go every once in a while and then live my busy life. But I, I really loved going to Chicago sporting events and watching sports with Chicago fans. And I tend to find Chicago sports fans to be mean slash annoying. Yeah. They booed the bears coach's son a child mm-hmm. um, at his high school football game. They just, and, and they're always like, the bears are bad. It's like, yeah, the bears are bad. They're bad. <laughs> They've never been back since. This isn't a surprise. Why do you think they're going to be good? Just get over it. And they're constantly like, we want more. It's like you had three championships yeah. from the bulls in five years. The Cubs won the white Sox. It's like you win. You have so many. Okay. Just, Enough. Well, let me ask you. So difference between the Chicago fan base and Boston fan base. Um, Less racist. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I think I think Boston is probably more. But it's similar in the sense, too, of like because Boston fans are Patriots fans. So it's like you guys have won enough too. the Red Sox, the curse, whatever you won. fever pitch. They had to change the ending. You won. Let some other places win. Okay. Next question. Which team has the best logo? I'm we'll say, say it Colts. on three. Colts. 
go horse. She just like, honestly, people, it's the most basic logo, in my opinion. It's a, it's a horseshoe. She'll stare at it, not even during season, just go, it's beautiful. It really is. First of all, a horseshoe, lots of people wear that as jewelry. Like not even the Colts yeah. logo, just because it's like good luck or something. I find the color blue to be gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, blue and white. When you see blue and white, you go, that's the good guy. You know, like in a movie, if they're in blue, you're like, good guys. So yeah, we got the horseshoe. That. We got the the blue and white. There used to be this beautiful white horse that would gallop onto the field. PETA mm-hmm. obviously shut that down decades ago. Um, but yeah, I see that logo and I go, I'm in good hands. Yep. And what do we say about that? Go horse. Go horse. Yep. Go horse. CJ, what's your least favorite team and why? And then um, they also have, what's the best jersey number? I know that your high school football number was 69. Yeah. <laughs> I would, is- And the guess what? I was trying to grow up and my, and my coaches were like, they gave, like, I swear to God, this was a social experiment. Uh, they put two jerseys in front of me. It was like number 55 and number 69. They go, CJ, pick what number you want. And they all like kind of forced me to get 69. And because they, because I was supposedly the class clown of the team. Anyways, um, who do you think of my least favorite team is and why? The Clippers. Yeah. Okay. Yep. I was honestly going to say the Patriots, but yeah, it's the Clippers. Wow. Wait, so <laughs> I swayed you to change yeah, your yeah, answer. Yeah, I forgot the disdain I have for the Clippers. And yes. it's more so the fan bases, but yeah. And like, I find their fans to be like sweet. It's the like, thing yeah, is, dream, I dream loved, big. I loved going to Clippers games when I first moved here because mm-hmm. they were the only thing I could afford. And then when I got there or like over the years, people started going and just becoming like, oh, I discovered the Clippers first or like making it such a like, oh, we're the underdogs. Woe is me. And I'm like, let's just enjoy basketball. So yeah, and then obviously Kawhi, the whole Kawhi thing and, you yeah. know, being a Lakers fan. Um, all right, next question. Most iconic moment in NBA history. So I'm going to say uh, the Reggie, nine seconds. Yeah, eight points in nine seconds. Yeah, eight points in nine seconds. Um, for listeners at home, CJ and I did get engaged in front of a mural of Reggie Miller. Yeah. Um, okay, CJ, best baseball jersey. I mean, I, I think we both... Well, gosh, I think if this was hat, I would say you'd go with the L.A. Dodgers hat. I could see you saying the Yankees, though. No, Jersey, no. no. Oh, wow. Okay, I guess I'm... Yankees jerseys and uniforms just remind me of, like, undercover cops. (laughs) (laughs) Like... Hey, hey kids. (laughs) You could just see that, like, silver sort of, like, necklace or chain underneath, and you're like, you're a cop. I know you're a cop. Um... I would say best baseball jersey. I really, the one I wanted was maybe the Arizona Diamondback Randy Johnson jersey. What? Yeah. Yeah, you love bolt colors. Yeah. Or no, no, you know what? The Nolan Ryan Astros. Even though I wouldn't wear it these days, but like that's no. that's one of the most classic throwbacks of all time. Okay. 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 Here's this. Is, I, I know this one. Who was the best international basketball player? Is it best or favorite? I'm going to say your favorite, favorite international basketball player. I'm going to say, let's say it on three. Okay. One, two, three, Rick Smith. Giannis. Wow. <laughs> oh yeah. I just, uh, honestly, Dutchman. No. So I said Giannis because I thought that's who you were going to say. My favorite is the Nassus. <laughs> Giannis's brother. That's a whole, we got to do a whole episode on how much you love the He lights up a screen. 
Okay, that smile. He's an underrated sports crush, I feel like, for a lot of people. The way he cheers on his teammates, the fight in him when he sometimes gets in the game. Mm-hmm. I, If I saw Thanasis, I would, I think I'd be more excited than seeing Giannis. I just, I love him and I want to like, you know, it's like, He's like a hunk and also so cute. It's like, I want to kiss him on his cheeks and his lips. We love the Anatokounmpo brothers. Met Thanasis, very nice guy. Very cool to work with. Okay, final question. What's your favorite sports memory? I know what this is. (laughs) I I feel like this, can we just, before we even say it's not a trick question, there's not like a sports memory with you and I that I'm supposed to say? No, there's not a sports okay. memory with, with you or I. I just think I absolutely know what this is. Okay, it's uh, let's say the Cavs yeah. winning games, game coming seven. back from down three one to win game seven. Yep. And yours is uh, the comeback AFC Championship game. Championship game where you got blackout drunk. I was not blackout drunk for that. Okay. No, I wasn't. That was the Super Bowl. Duh. All right. <laughs> well. I enjoy being your husband. As you guys can all see, our love for sports is very, very real and probably annoying to anyone who made it through this whole entire (laughs) section. That's it for Take Line. Thank you so much for having us. Jason, thank you again for giving us your platform uh, (laughs) for us to talk about what's going on in sports right now. Megan, anything, any final sign off? Absolutely. Um, You can hear me on Crooked Media's Hysteria. Also, I am going to be emceeing an extremely important event in Indianapolis on July 9th. It is um, a rally for reproductive rights put on by Planned Parenthood Advocates East. So that will be in Indianapolis, July 9th. You can go to my socials. It has all the information. I'm at Megan Gailey on Twitter, at Better Megan Gailey on Instagram. A thank you to the athletes who have spoken up about the reproductive rights injustice that's happening right now. And um, CJ, where can people find you? Just at CJ Toledano, at follow through. If you support at follow through or follow through in general, you support Megan and I, because that's part of how we pay some bills. But um, yeah, we just really enjoyed talking about sports and thank you for watching and listening. Yeah, so follow and subscribe to Take Line on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Jason, we hope you're having fun in whatever pool you're soaking in and he will be back next week. Bye, y'all. Take Line is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Ryan Wallerson and Zuri Irvin. Our executive producers are myself and Sandy Gerard. Engineering, editing, and sound design by the great Sarah de Alaska and the folks at Chapter 4. And our theme music is produced by Brian Vasquez. Mia Kelman is on the Zoom for Vibes, and the vibes are fantastic all the time.